you tell me a limo that's at Nicole's condo goes wildly up the street, ends up at Rockingham, and the passenger is running up the driveway. Who do you think it was? Goosebumps. Any doubt in your mind who that was? It was O.J. Simpson. I was all over this trial, made no bones about the fact that I thought he was a murderer. What would he I, I have think said the word, oh shit, came out of his mouth. Hey now, welcome to the Jim Rohn Podcast. What's going on? Episode 7 features one of the most powerful men in all of showbiz, TMZ founder and managing editor Harvey Levin. Now, one of the reasons I started this podcast was so I could have conversations like this one. Because if you get the chance to run somebody down like Harvey, you do not jam him into a nine-minute block of radio. That's just not going to work. You've got to give a guy like this some room to breathe, to operate, to tell one of the craziest O.J. Simpson stories you will ever want to hear. And if you want to talk about the juice, there is nobody better to do that with than Harvey Levin, a man who built his reputation as a local news reporter here in Los Angeles, covering that trial in addition to covering so much more. What we have here is a great episode of the pod with a single guest, something we have not done yet. He's that good. But first, let me talk to you about Upside. If you travel for business, you know it's a game of wins and losses. Popping open an overhead bin and finding it empty, that's a win. Sleeping through a wake-up call, that's a loss. Buying your business trip at Upside.com, well, that's not just a win, that's a triple win. Number one is, Upside has the absolute best available prices for flights, hotels, and rental cars. Win number two, Upside will reward you with a gift card to places like Amazon.com every time you buy a business trip. And number three is the amazing six-star treatment that you'll get from Upside's customer service specialist, who they call navigators. Upside Navigators are instantly accessible 24-7 by voice, chat, email, or message on the Upside app, even reaching out to you with useful info to help you avoid a problem before it happens. And I'm going to start your Upside 6-star treatment right now. Go to Upside.com, use my code Rome, and you'll get a minimum $100 gift card to Amazon.com. That's code Rome for a minimum $100 gift card to Amazon.com when you buy your next business trip at Upside.com. Upside.com, you deserve a better business trip, minimum purchase required, see site for complete details. Somehow, we're already seven episodes into this thing, and that voicemail has survived. Now, that does not mean that it's not on life support. In fact, if you listen to my radio program last week, I challenged everybody dialing into this thing to get better, to be better. But then again, I've been challenging callers to get better and be better for nearly three decades now. So my expectations are right about where you think they'd be. But no matter how much I truly hate turning over this pristine podcast real estate to the jackasses on my answering machine, it remains far and away the favorite part of the pod for a lot of you who only come here to hear this. In other words, I'm fighting a losing battle, so why fight it? The sooner I hit play and clear this tape, the sooner I can get to my conversation with Harvey Levin. You have 12 new messages. First new message. Certainly Duke is Duke. They're on TV more than Leave it to Beaver reruns. Leave it to Beaver reruns. Beaver reruns. Beaver. Message deleted. Next message. Uh, hello? This message is for Jim Rome. <laughs> this is Butthead. Uh, me and Beavis were at that football game where that 50-year-old grandpa 
went over and choked out that 16-year-old coach. <laughs> that was pretty cool. Message deleted. Next message. Hey, Jim. This is Chris in Montana. I wrote a little poem for you. It's called Ode to a Raunchy Chick from the Barrio. Zane Smith looks like a rat. Jessica Blimson got fat. Message deleted. Next message. I'm Romy, Golden Big Warrior again. Hey, can you do me a favor and pass a message along to Keith? Keith, you got the order wrong again. Okay, it was two chimichangas and a burrito. Message deleted. Next message. Jim Rome, this here is Jerry the Satellite Installator calling from Bogahaw. I just got done watching Wisconsin beat the shit out of my Huskers. We need a new coach. We need some jumble karma. Come with it, Rome. Dinner done. Message saved. Next message. Hey, Jim, it's Sparty. Ask Jim Harbaugh. Tell me on my ass face. Oh! Hey, Jim Harbaugh, when you quitting? Oh! Party out. Message saved. Next message. Hey, Jim. This is Rex Ryan calling. Hey, how's it going? Congratulations on your podcast. I really like hearing... Oh, hold on, woman. Just use that red toenail polish. That's the kind I like. Message deleted. Next message. Oi, Jim. Sean Connery here from Wales. Didn't know if you uh checked out your boy Kevin Hogan show up at the factory of Shadish today. You know what they say in C-Town? Bohica, baby. Message deleted. Next message. Hey, Jim. How you doing? Brad in Detroit. I have advice for Lions fans. Don't give a damn what that team does until they win a playoff game. Historically mediocre. I don't give a damn what the Lions do until they win a playoff game. And every other Detroit Lions fan would be better off if they took the same approach. I'm out. Message saved. Next message. Hey, Jim. Ben Roethlisberger here. Feeling pretty down about today's game against Jacksonville. I think I'll grab my buddy Bill Cosby and hit the bar. Message deleted. Next message. Vince Mac, Tony Montoya. I don't know what the problem is, Vince Mac. So what? The motherfucker has coke lined up on his desk and he's doing lines. I do it all the time. These people, they're just cockroaches. And now he resigns? Tell him come work for me. I give him a job. You want a job? Huh? You want a job? Message deleted. Next message. Hey, what's up, Jim? This speaks in City of City. Hey, man, I was just uh, reflecting back on the weekend uh, and what you said Monday and how you opened the show. A lot of us have been listening to the show for a long time, cracked the jokes, talk about sports, and, and we take it for granted. But I just want to war the, the courage of the people of Las Vegas that, that try to save lives on Sunday night and uh, war how you handled the show Monday. I really appreciate that, man. Take care, buddy. Message saved. You have no more messages. All right, then, Beaks. Thank you for saving that voicemail segment. Thank you very much for appreciating what it is that we do here and not resetting Beavis and Butthead, something that was funny back in 1993, literally a quarter of a century ago, something you idiots keep calling about. I mean, if I had one voicemail from Beavis or Butthead, I probably had 1,000. And Chris, there will be no poem as an ode to Arancha Sanchez Vicario, unless you want to talk about her four Grand Slams and her 77 singles titles. Just keep on moving, brother. Let me tell you something. This may very well be the segment that kills this thing once and for all. I mean, if this doesn't, what will?
Let me ask you this. How often do you think about your socks? If you're like I used to be, probably not very often. But then I discovered socks that changed the way I'll think about socks forever. They're called Bombas. Bombas are the most comfortable socks in the history of feet. And the best part is how well they hold up. Every time I throw on a pair, they feel as good as they did the very first time. They're made from premium cotton. Bombas stay warm in the winter and cool in the summer. And every single pair comes with a built-in blister tab, innovative arch support, stay-up technology, and a seamless toe. Bombas are what feet daydream about. And for every Bombas purchase you make, Bombas donates a pair to somebody in need. It's an incredible program. So keep cool, keep comfortable, and keep contributing with the best socks in the history of feet, Bombas. Buy one pair or four at bombas.com slash Rome today and get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash Rome for 20% off. Bombas.com slash Rome. Now, you may know Harvey Levin from hanging over a cube in a TMZ newsroom or even from his segments in the People's Court. But there is so much more to this dude, and his story is as fascinating as all the news that he breaks on his website. In this conversation, we get into how his TV career all started up at UC Santa Barbara when the National Guard moved in on student protesters. Harvey also tells me how his feelings on the president, whom he knows personally, have changed in recent months and how disappointed he is. And of course, I get his thoughts on what the future holds for O.J. Simpson, what his life is going to be like on the outside, and where he's going to set up shop. All of that and so much more coming up right now in a fascinating conversation. And we, of course, talk about the UCSB Gauchos. Hey, Jim. Harvey, it is so good to talk to you. Thank you so much for doing this. Are you kidding? For you? If you don't mind, I need to start by asking you about O.J. Simpson because the juice is, in fact, loose. Harvey, what do you think that O.J.'s life is going to be like on the outside this time? You know, I've been thinking a lot about this. And um, first of all, I know he said that he's thinking of going to Florida. I don't think he's going to Florida. I think he's staying in, in Las Vegas. You know, there's a reason he hasn't filed the papers in, in, in Florida. And I think he's probably going to have a more normal life and one with less controversy in Vegas because a lot of it's, you know, trans, a lot of it is kind of transitory where you've got a lot of visitors, you know, coming in and out. So it's not like people are saying, oh, God, you're moving into my neighborhood because a lot of these people are tourists. And I think he probably does better with that than he does with residents. And, you know, because there was some talk in Florida that it'd be a problem. And remember, it's been 22 years since the murders. And he's also done nine years. So, you know, for a lot of people, they think, okay, he's served time, even though it wasn't for that, even though it really was for that. And it's been a long time. There are probably people, a lot of people have no concept of what happened with Ron and Nicole. They're just too young. And if you're 30 years old or younger, you have no idea. And there are a lot of people 30 and under. So I think he's going to have a pretty normal life and in some ways, you know, some adulation because he's a famous guy. He's a famous football player. He's a celebrity, and he loves that. So I think he's going to do okay there. You know, it's really funny to hear you say that he might live something of a normal life. I don't know what's more bizarre, that, Harvey, or the fact that it's been 22 years, but there was nothing normal about that back then, and you were right in the middle of it. As you look back at that time, there were so many things that were so bizarre and so surreal from that time. What's the most bizarre thing or two that sticks out to you from back then? Well, I can answer that in a second. 
the most bizarre thing that happened to me, hands down, hands down. I'm guessing this was maybe three weeks, maybe four weeks after he was found not guilty and he was let out. A friend of mine, her name was Andy Sporkin, she wanted to see the, uh, the murder scene. And I, it was at night, and I don't remember, I think it was like a Saturday night. And so we drove over to Bundy, where, where Nicole lived, where she was murdered, and where Ron was murdered. And so I, I, I had a theory about how he did it, and I obviously believe he killed him. But my theory is that O.J. was playing around with the garage door because he wanted to ri- he wanted to slit Nicole's tires on her Maserati because he didn't want her going out that night because he was very jealous and he had apparently done this once before. So, I took Andy around to the back alley where I think OJ left his car and where he made his escape. And as we go to the back alley, I see this old limo, a black limo that's sitting there. And I pull up right behind the limo, and I look up, and the limo pulls out, pulls away, which was no, no big deal because a lot of spectators were going. But this limo pulled away fast. It wasn't just somebody, you know, rolling away from this, you know, from the murder scene. It was somebody who kind of gunned it. And I just thought, could this be? And I followed this limo. And we're going down the alley, and the limo's going faster, and I'm going faster. And the limo turns left, and I turn left. And the limo is going faster, and then I go faster. And the limo makes a right, and I make a right. And it makes another left, and I make a left. At this point, I'm thinking, is it possible he went back to the scene of the crime? And this limo is now wildly snaking around the area and gets up to sunset, and I, I it, you know, for all the people listening who don't know the area, you have to cross Sunset Boulevard to get to the home that O.J. used to own. It's called it's, the, the house was on Rockingham in a very fancy area, but you have to cross Sunset, and Sunset's a busy street. So the limo crosses, and then there's traffic. So I get left behind, and about. 15, 20 seconds later, I make it across the street. But rather than going up the street O.J. went on, I knew, there, I knew of a shortcut because I had been following the trial for so long. And so I take the shortcut and race over to Rockingham. And sure enough, the limo is parked outside Rockingham, and I see this guy running up the driveway. I will not lie to you. I didn't see his face because it was dark out. But you tell me a limo that's at at Nicole's uh, condo goes wildly up the street, ends up at Rockingham, and the passenger is running up the driveway. Who do you think it was? Goosebumps. Goosebumps, Harvey. So is there any doubt in your mind who that was? It was O.J. Simpson. That is absolutely incredible. All right, so now what? Who who gets the first sit-down with O.J. now? See, I don't, that I don't know, because I do think that there's a lot of pressure on... It's certainly traditional media uh, not to pay for an interview with him. And and also, you know, there's a complication here because, remember, he owes about $100 million to the Goldmans and the Browns with interest over 22 years. (laughs) And he doesn't want to pay it for sure. So 
I'm not saying he's taking money under the table, but it certainly wouldn't shock me. And if he's going to get money from a traditional media outlet, uh, they're going to have to pay him on, you know, above board. And plus, Fred Goldman's already gone into court and said, hey, anything he makes, I want. So if he's going to do it, he's got to do it in a shady kind of way if he's going to make any money. So I don't think it's going to be a traditional media outlet that does it. I don't know who's going to do it. I will say that these that there's been this guy following him around who happened to catch him at a gas station in the middle of nowhere right. the day he got out and then ends up in his backyard taking pictures of him so is OJ making some kind of a deal with some guy to take pictures uh, that would not surprise me Harvey have you tried to get him for a sit down for objectified would that work you know it's so funny I, I probably wouldn't do that interview I mean I'm really trying to pick people who you know, achieved a high level of success, but aren't, you know, I, I don't want to do the notorious on this thing. I just don't. It's just not something that interests me. And what's he going to say? You think O.J. Simpson's going to suddenly open up and tell the truth? No, I don't think so. Yeah, of course not. No, so that, that, that wouldn't really fit with the title. In fact, talk to me about the title, Objectified. What does the title mean in this regard, and then how is this show different? Well, I mean, look, I wanted to do a show telling i'm really into biographies i've always loved biographies and i wanted to do a show about the lives of people who have really accomplished something but people who have interesting lives where you can look at the successes and the failures they had along the way and then figure out the elements that turned them into who they are today but the storytelling device is this that we divide their lives into seven chapters you know, it could be childhood, it could be, you know, family, it could be, you know, with Netanyahu, you know, life in America, you know, it, it could be a, di- a variety of different things depending on the person. And, you know, and what we do is for each chapter, we say to them, give us a, an item that you kept over the years that represents that period in your life. And we're going to start with that item, what it is, why it's important to you, why you kept it. And what it does is it opens them up, Jim, in a really interesting way because they suddenly have control at the beginning to kind of set the tone for that chapter. And what I found with everybody we've done is that it, it is just it's opened them up in a way that you wouldn't get just by sitting on a sofa talking to somebody and firing questions at them. Judge Judy, for instance, we know a fair amount about her. Tell me something about her that we do not know. Well, the thing that stunned me and still does is she's two different people. She is, on the one hand, this fiercely independent, smart, uh, take-no-prisoners woman. And on the other hand, she's a housewife and a traditional housewife and she wants to be a traditional housewife. And she thinks women are nurturers and men are warriors. And she needs to be married. She needs a man. She needs to fuss over a man. She needs to do things for a man that he just won't do himself, even though he should. She is a very traditional woman, you know, wrapped in a body of somebody also who, is, who feels on the surface might be the exact opposite. Now, you interviewed the then-president-elect Donald Trump late last year for Objectified, and then, Harvey, you met with him last April. Many in the media hammered you for doing so. What was your reaction to that? Well, I mean, look, you know, first of all, I am really disappointed in Trump. I'm just almost despairing over what has happened. But that said, 
I think it's ridiculous that the media, you know, has some kind of a litmus test on who a reporter could see. Do you think if the New York Times reporter was invited to talk to Trump, you think he would do it? What do you think? I think probably so, yes. Of course he would. (laughs) Of course he would. Right. So, you know, what this is, is, oh, you know, why would he invite TMZ in? It must be that the TMZ guy likes him. Well, nobody should be liking this guy, so we're just going to go after him. I mean, it's, it's one of the reasons the public doesn't like the media. The media shouldn't be saying, hey, you need to hate somebody because we all hate them, and you need to be with us. I mean, the media should not be doing it. And when they do, they compromise their integrity, they compromise their credibility. And when people watch them, how do they know when a story is fact-driven versus agenda-driven? Now, they can say it's always fact-driven. Well, maybe so, but it doesn't look that way when they are, you know, rabid about, you know, going after somebody. So, you know, look, I personally am really almost despondent over a lot of the things Trump has done. I mean, I just cannot believe it. But at the same time, you, you know, to, to basically say, look, we're going we're gonna to go on a mission, and that mission will be unwavering. I, I think ultimately it really hurts the media. I really do. Hmm. Harvey, despondent why? Despondent because you didn't expect to see this type of thing or things from him, or despondent because of what he's done? Larry King said, I don't know who this man is anymore. And I've, you know, I've heard secondhand, Ari Emanuel has said this, I've heard this from a lot of people. I've known him for a dozen years, and the things he said since he decided to run for office are not things that I ever heard out of his mouth. He seemed like kind of a laissez-faire kind of guy. I, that was always my experience. I'm not seeing that anymore. And I don't know, you know whether this is coming from, hey, He's figured out a base, and he's playing to the base, and he drank the Kool-Aid. I don't know. I always thought that when he got elected, that he would be a one-term president. Because what does he need to run for re-election for? He wanted to win, and he did, and he was president of the United States. And I always thought that he might pull an Earl Warren, that even though he kind of ran on this super conservative platform, I don't think that's necessarily who – I don't think that's who he was – And I always thought that once he ran, once he won, he would not run again. He would know in his head he wouldn't run again. And then he'd moderate himself. And he's done the opposite. Let me ask you this. In a world with TMZ, Harvey, how the hell did Harvey Weinstein get away with the bullshit that he's reportedly gotten away with for as long as he has? Well, Jim, you look, I will tell you, and and anybody who says they haven't heard this in Hollywood, I just don't believe them. This is such, I mean... Everybody. Now, they weren't talking about specifically, you know, uh, you know, this case or that case. But everybody heard these stories over decades. This is not a new thing. This is not something that just surfaced. Everybody's heard this. And, you know, why did the media stay away from him? I mean, there's a point of view. Harvey Weinstein's a liberal guy in a liberal, uh, with a liberal press, and he's very powerful and very successful. And a lot of media didn't want to cross him, or, and they didn't want to cross him either because of his power or his politics. I mean, that's the theory. I can't say whether those are the reasons, but that's the word in the street. And, you know, a- again, they knew about, you know, generally, everybody's heard these stories. Um, you know, Sharon Waxman, who runs The Wrap, 
you know, said that she worked for the New York Times in 2004, and she had a story about Harvey Weinstein procuring women, um, some sexual harassment, and the New York Times basically gutted the story back in 2004, and she said it was because Harvey Weinstein went there, went to the New York Times, and got them to stop it. Um, now, that's what she said, but look, she was the reporter on that, and she was pretty specific about what the story was supposed to be. Hmm. I mean, with respect, Harvey, to your, your sources and the conversations that you have with your people, I mean, is this something that was obviously on your radar? Did you have conversations about this? Were you pursuing this? No, because, look, I mean, Harvey Weinstein, it's more of a trade story than a celebrity story for us, mm -hmm. that, you know, he runs a big studio, but he's not the kind of person that's in the 30-mile zone, if you will. And, you know, I, when I say you, you heard it, you heard general things. You heard rumblings. You heard people talking about him, treatment toward women, nothing, you know, not a specific case, although I'm sure specific cases were mentioned. You know, it, that's just not, that wasn't really on our radar. Now, when you and I last spoke, TMZ Sports had just launched, and obviously you were looking to play God, it's been that there. long? Yeah, it's been that long, believe it or not. It's been that long. Now, I know when, when you did that, you had big plans, and you had to feel like there was a void or a hole in the sports media world that you could fill. Do you feel like you've done that, and has it, has it done what you set out to do with it? Absolutely. I mean, and to, it's, to the credit of Evan Rosenblum, who runs the sports, uh, the sports team, but all the people who work in the sports team, I think they have done an amazing job. Jim, if you think about it, we broke the Ray Rice story. We broke the Donald Sterling story. I can list a hundred stories that the team has broken since, you know, uh, with Ben Roethlisberger and all sorts of people. But in addition to that, I mean, one of the things that, that, ever, that all of us here wanted to do was we didn't want to do, you know, hits, runs, and errors. We wanted to do the personality side of sports as well. And not just like a linear thing where we only do personality, because when you get a Ray Rice story, you do a Ray Rice story. But we wanted to tell the stories of how athletes party and where, you know, you know their relationships and, 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 you know, how they have fun and what they buy. We wanted to make that an element of it because people are interested in sports figures. They're huge celebrities. And the story that always comes into my head, I read this great book, help me out here, I think it's called America 1927. It's a great book. And it's about all the crazy things that happened in 27. Um, Lindbergh landing in Paris, but Babe Ruth breaking the home run record. And in the book, they talk about, there was, an, there was a, an, a weekly article in the... Um, in the Chicago, either the Sun-Times or the Daily News, I can't remember which, but it was an article solely devo de uh, devoted to Babe Ruth's bunions. <laughs> and it was the most popular uh, column in the newspaper because people were thirsty for anything about Babe Ruth. And I think that's the case with, um, with sports figures, that people are just really interested in them. And we've seen it now you know, on the sports site, on our sports show, with our YouTube videos that we put up that just do enormous numbers, you know, and, you know, look, we, we spent a lot of time, you know, working with Conor McGregor, and I'm not saying we're responsible for it, but we were a component of it, really, you know, putting these fun videos of Conor up, you know, as he, you know, rose th through the ranks of the UFC, 
And I think that, you know, look at, you know, there, there's a reason Connor rose to the top the way he did, and part of it is personality, and that's one of the things we key into with sports. I think you're right, Harvey. There's an insatiable appetite to learn about athletes, to find out about athletes. And it seems to me bunions, for instance, are fair game, but there's always a line, right? There's always a line, or there should be in the way the media covers anything. So where do you draw the line on how much you can go into an athlete's personal life? Because you know they'll take whatever you can give them, but where exactly is the line? Hey, look, I mean, is there a bright line? No. But you have to look at invasion of privacy. There's a yuck factor. I mean, we will not out people. We won't put stories up unless they want them up about them going to rehab. You know, we're not into uh, – uh, there is a story about an athlete, a big athlete, that um, somebody sent us yesterday. I mean, literally yesterday. Um, and we're not going to touch it because it, it, it feels intrusive. You know, I, I remember early on, um, we got this picture. Do you remember the picture of Michael Phelps smoking a bong? Sure, sure. So we got that picture first, and two months before it ever came out. And I remember looking at it and saying to myself, number one, he was in a private room. And number two, those girls, I believe, set him up. And it just felt that way to me. And I remember saying, we are not going to do this story. And I put the picture of Michael Phelps smoking the bong up on our wall in the office. And I, and I told people, I said, look, and again, I'm not trying to act sanctimonious about this, but this is just a reality. And I remember telling people, it's going to end up being, it's going to go somewhere and people are going to get a lot of traffic. We just don't want to be, we don't want to do this. And eventually it did get out. But, look, there are constant discussions about what do you post, what do you not post. And I think any media organization has those discussions, or they should. And, you know, you set rules, and especially over time, the rules become more sophisticated. But it's something we deal with all the time and argue about sometimes. I would imagine. I would imagine. Regarding the recent mass shootings in Las Vegas, I mean, Harvey, they're all so tragic. They're all so horrifying. They're all so catastrophic. But we had never really seen or heard the graphic images and the video that we saw in Las Vegas. What was your reaction when you saw those images for the first time? Well, I mean, look, it's horrifying. It's disheartening. But, you know, it's like, what is it going to take for everybody to just say, we are, why are we such a violent country? I, for the life of me, do not understand the notion of assault weapons or semi-automatic weapons. I don't understand it. And every time I raise it with somebody who thinks they need to be protected, and, and I ask them, why does anybody need a semi-automatic weapon? I, I mean, I remember getting a stupid comment last month, last week. Somebody said, well, if you want to shoot a boar, you may need it. Come on. Ridiculous. Right. You, need to, you need an automatic weapon to shoot a boar. They've been doing that for hundreds of years. And if you need an automatic weapon to shoot a boar, make it more of a fair fight. You know, come on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're used to kill people. And that's, why, and that's what they're there for. And until the NRA, you know, releases its chokehold on our politicians and we start getting some – and, and by the way, I don't think – that this kind of gun control is going to solve the problem. It's going to be a component, but it's not the solution, but it's, it's, it's going down the road. And unless we go down the road, you're going to see this over and over and over the way we have. And suddenly, not safe to go to school, 
not safe to go to a concert, not safe to go to the airport, not safe to go on an airplane. You know, at what point do we say things are closing in on us? And unless we get serious about this, and one of the components is gun control, and because, you know, anybody who says, oh, no, we have a, first, well, we have a Second Amendment right to carry weapons, bullshit. You know what? There's, there's a First Amendment right to freedom of speech, but there are limits on that. And there are limits in the Second Amendment, too. And the framers never intended that people have assault weapons. And I believe this Constitution is a living, breathing document. It is. It's stupid to think that you can look at a document that's 250 years old and not apply modern technology and taste and everything else to this document. It's dumb. And unless we, unless we do something to start radically changing, our society is in mortal danger. And the fact is, Harvey, this is not something new for you. I know you've had thoughts like this for quite some time. In fact, I think about you. I think about your career. I think about your life. And it all started really in the Valley here in Southern California. You grew up in the Valley in the 60s. Of course, you and I both went to UC Santa Barbara. The Gauchos are a very tight-knit group. We're proud of where we went to school. We're proud of each other. You had options coming out of high school. How did you end up at UC Santa Barbara? <laughs> well, um, I remember I applied. And, and Jim, I, I don't... I remember that when I got accepted, I don't recall that there was a limit on where you could go to school if you got admitted to the UC system. I think maybe Berkeley was different, but I think you could pretty much go anywhere else. So I went to UCLA and I got lost. And I thought, this place ain't for me. And I really wanted to get away. And so I drove up to UCSB and I went into Isla Vista and I looked at the apartments and I looked at the ocean and I said, that place is for me. We all did that. That's exactly how we all did that. So what, okay, now what year was that when you first got to IV? Uh, 68. Okay, and the bank burned when? In 70? 69. 69. So you were there for that. Well, you know, it's funny. My first TV job, <laughs> my first TV job was in 1969 in the summer because there was, a, you know, for people who don't know, during the Vietnam War, you know, there, were a lot, there was a lot of unrest. And UCSB was considered kind of a party school. Sure. But in 68, 69, it all changed. And it was more of a hotbed of protest than Berkeley, even. <laughs> and we had three major riots on the campus. The Bank of America burned down. People were killed. And the National Guard came in, and they were angry. And the National Guard basically beat up students. And they gassed them, and they beat them up. And it was horrible. And I remember there was a, uh, a very conservative television news anchor named George Putnam who was on sure. Fox. I remember him saying on, his, on the newscast one night, the students were whooping like Indians. He used those wow. words. And it just pissed me off. And so I was at a barbershop in June of 69 waiting to get my hair cut. And I thought, screw this. And I got on a payphone and I called Channel 11 and I said, you know what? This is bullshit. Your anchor doesn't know what he's talking about. This was not a student riot. It was a National Guard riot three times. And you guys aren't reporting this right. And the guy's name that I talked to was John Ross. And he was the head of, the, head of uh, KTTV. And he said, well, why don't you come down and talk to me about it? And I didn't have a job, so I went down to Channel 11 after getting my hair cut. He talked to me, and he looked at me, and he said, here's the deal. He said, we have this thing where we need public service on our station, because in order to get an FCC renewal license, you need to have a certain number of public service hours. We're short. So how would you like to produce a show? 
and you could do something in the student's point of view. And he literally, he let me produce a television show called Up Against the Crisis that um, actually aired in August of 69. So that was my very first TV job. Harvey, fucking A, that's incredible. You know, all, all along I've been thinking, and maybe this is a reach, maybe OJ was the reason for TMZ, but the fact of the matter is, you might not be where you were if not for Putnam getting off the way he did on KTTV back in the day. When you were God, I, never really th- I, I never really thought of it that way. That's kind of scary, actually. It started <laughs> in IV. It started in IV. Uh, so i got to finally ask you, what was it like growing up in the Valley in the 60s, the way you did? I grew up in the Valley in the 70s. What was the Valley like in the 60s? God, um, yeah. I mean, look, I, I mean, I had a, my dad owned a liquor store there, so I ended up, you know, doing a lot of work in the store, and, you know, my parents were really working class people, so we did, you know, it was, it was not easy there, but I remember I was super active in my high school, like super, super active in my high school, and did all sorts of stuff, and um, I really, I loved high school. I loved, I mean, most people hated it. I loved high school. So, you know, that was kind of the salvation for me. Um, but I do remember saying to myself, the second I graduate, I got to get out of this town. I got to go somewhere. And I, that's one of the reasons I went to Santa Barbara. And you went to Ala Vista, the best place ever. But I you know what too. a good school it is now? It's a great oh, school. You are a brilliant guy. You could probably still get in. I know for a fact I'm not getting in. No, no, no. I don't know about that. You know what? I actually spoke there like six months ago, and I remember listening to some of the students, and I thought, I probably couldn't get in now. Hey, Harvey, how great was that? I did that a few years back. I went to Campbell Hall and did a speech. Do you remember where you spoke, and then how awesome and surreal was it to be back there speaking? It was the best. Right? Honestly, it was emotional, and it was fantastic. I love going back. I've been back there some and you know to speak and i love going back and i'm there's a guy um named roger davidson who was my political science professor professor and he has this really great program of introducing students to washington dc it's an internship program and i'm i i I support that program and i i I loved him he's still around and you know i there's just i got so many good memories for that school both of us worked at um at kcsb the radio station there Right. That is true. Yeah, I was sports director there. What did you do at KCSB? Well, only one of us got fired, and it wasn't you. <laughs> you want to some crazy? I mean, I didn't even know that you worked there. Sean Hannity worked there for one year. Is that so? You believe that? He blew through Santa Barbara right around the time that I was there, and he was there for about a year, and he did about as well as you might imagine on an extremely liberal radio station like that. Was he? That, was he this conservative when he was there? He was. He was. He was, and you remember that I was I did a, not know that. That was a community-run radio station that was extremely liberal, and he was already kind of out in front of that thing and thinking about the world the way he thinks about the world. And, yeah, he, it, it was pretty hot for about a year with him. I had no idea. So I had that, no that idea. three of us. Huh. Bam, just like that, episode number seven of the Jim Rome Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And if you haven't done it already, go ahead and binge the other six. Trust me on this. Bob Costas, Adam Carolla, Dirk Nowitzki, Kevin Frazier, Aaron Rodgers, and more. Tremendous conversations, only a play button away. You already know how to subscribe and review and how much we appreciate that, but don't stop there. 
Hit me up on Twitter at Jim Rome and let me know what you think. And remember, you can always check out the daily radio show every day, noon to 3 Eastern, on CBS Sports Radio and streaming live on JimRome.com. Or you can catch it on demand via the Daily Jungle podcast, also available through iTunes and Google Play. Again, thank you so much for listening. And a bonus episode eight drops on Thursday the 12th with Kurt Warner and Ike Taylor. Make sure you look for that. I will see you then. I'm out.